We are in our series on the book of Philippians. We've been going through it throughout the summer, and we are seeing that this is a letter of joy written from a person full of joy to a people who are being persecuted. And so um, it, there, there's a lot here for us. And today, my prayer is that God will set us free from um, a lot of bad theology. And so uh, our, our prayer is that God would just speak to us today in might and power through his word and that we would grab hold of the truth of God's word and not maybe some of the things that we've learned outside of the truth of God's word. And that's what Paul is even challenging the Philippian church in this letter, in this moment. While we are currently going through the book of Philippians, right across the hallway, our kids are in the process of going through the Bible engagement project. They're in 1 Kings this week, chapter 18, and they're finding that God is the one true God. And so uh, there's different questions here you can see on the screen. Parents, if you want to take a picture or if you're leaving at the kid's kiosk, there's a little QR code you can scan and it'll take you to this information. But these are different questions you can engage your kids with about what they learned throughout this week. And then also coming up in Sunday, August 6th, that we've already talked about how important that Sunday is, we actually have a new family resource that's going to be coming out. Kids are going back to school, and so we've got a resource that's called Mission Possible. And so Mission Possible is designed essentially to help your kids and your teens understand and take a look at their school this year through the gospel end. So there's three different versions we've created. We've created one for elementary kids, we've created one for teenagers, and we've created one for homeschoolers, because even the homeschoolers need Jesus. <laughs> I say that because my kids are homeschooled. <laughs> but there's three different ones, and so there's like 12 different missions we're encouraging them to do over the course of the first month of school, and for them to pick eight of those 12 and try to accomplish them. And the, again, the purpose is to get them thinking about the beginning of this school year, not just, I'm going back to school, I'm taking tests, I'm relearning things, but I'm on mission. This is my mission field. And what does it look like to be a follower of Jesus in my school? And so that's our prayer for that resource. Would you join me in prayer this morning as we uh, prepare our hearts? And this is what I want you to ask you this morning. I want you to say, God, will you give me a renewed desire for your presence? So as we're praying and as we're, we're preparing ourselves for this, this is what we need. We are to be people of his presence. So let's pray and ask that. Father, we come before you. Holy Spirit, we invite you into this room. You are welcome here. God, would you get every single essence of my flesh out of the way, and would you speak in might and power? Lord, there is nothing I've ever earned or could deserve to be able to preach your word by asking in the midst of my weakness, would your strength be sufficient? And would you speak exactly what you want to say today? Father, we pray that hearts and lives would be changed as we encounter the gospel, the truth, the good news of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we pray that in this room that we would be transformed, changed people because we have encountered you. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. The answer to that question is always different. And what's really interesting about your answer is your answer often will provide you a window to your soul. Your answer provides a brief snapshot to yourself, but also to someone else, of whatever it is that you value. 
It, it provides a little insight into what you're passionate about, what you care about, what seems uh, to you as having worth. And that's what's so interesting about the answer is that many times when we hear a question like that, like what would I go into to save, like, it, it's not necessarily even something of monetary value, is it? Sometimes it's pictures. Sometimes it's like a photo album or, or, or maybe like your grandmother's quilt that's passed down through multiple generations. Like there's, there's things beyond just even something that could be sold to gain. What we find is that our heart actually has a lot of different values. So the question I want us to wrestle with this morning at the outset is, um, what do you keep safe? What do you keep safe? right? And I want you to think about like a, a safe. A, a safe is something that is used. It's usually an armored box that we keep inside it things that we deem as having value to us, things that are important, um, things we want to protect that we don't want to be lost, stolen, broken into, or damaged. Uh, you think about like every great spy movie, there's always a moment when there's a wall safe hidden behind a picture or a mirror, right? And it's like that, that moment as they open it up and there's like, you know, passports and a stack of bills and all these different important documents or things that the person's trying to break into or, or get into. And the whole purpose behind a safe is you put inside it things that have extra value to you that you do not want lost, you don't want stolen, you don't want in case there was like a house fire. Like there's so many safes that they're, they're, they're fireproof and waterproof and freeze-proof and child-proof. Like they've obviously never met a toddler because a toddler can break into anything. Like... <laughs> But I, and I want you to think through, you know, like the, there's a lot of things that we can put inside these, these different safes. For instance, I'll give you a couple examples of what could be contents. It could be jewelry. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's values. Maybe it's tax information or um, maybe it's passwords or important things that you have. It could be artwork, right? Uh, photographs, sentimental items from your past or your history. But these are the things that often we put inside the safe, that we say, this has incredible value to me. Now watch with me. I, I want to read to you from, uh, this is the opening of chapter 3. And this is what Paul says. He gives us a command that is designed to protect what is most important. He says, whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things. But listen, I do it to safeguard your faith. Watch this. This is really interesting. Paul says, whatever happens, whether it's pressure, whether it's your faith is attacked, whether it's someone dies, whether the surrounding government comes against you, all things that they're facing and they're going through, he goes, whatever happens, rejoice in the Lord. Have joy in who God is because, watch this, I do that, I tell you this, because that joy acts as a safeguard to your faith. It acts like the safe, the very box that holds what's in it. That joy acts in such a way. This is a command that is designed to protect in us what is most important. The command, rejoice in the Lord, the reason, safeguard your faith. So far in the book of Philippians, Paul's kind of taken us on this really interesting journey. He said in chapter 1, he challenges us to live pure and blameless lives. 
He also says to conduct ourselves worthy in the manner of the good news. And then in chapter 2, he challenges us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling and then to live clean, innocent lives so that we shine like stars in the universe as we point out to others the word of truth as we cling to it. In this book, Paul's doing some, something very important. He is challenging us with two different enemies to your spiritual growth. And for the first half of this book, he's been hounding on one continuously. The first enemy is conformity, right? It's where in our life and in our pattern, we slowly conform to the patterns of this world, where we drift from the faith as we start to reflect in our life the values of our culture. One of the greatest enemies of your spiritual growth is as we become friends of the world, It's conformity. We don't want to be conformed to this age or conformed to the patterns of this world. We want to be transformed by the renewing of our our minds. That's so important for us. But Paul, at this point in the book of Philippians, he takes like a 180 degree shift and he now suddenly highlights to you the second enemy of your spiritual growth, or as I would like to say, the second thief of your spiritual growth. Because what's the whole point of a safety? Keep the thieves out. And the second one that we see that he really points out to us in this section is religion that has been based on self-righteousness. When you think that you can earn your salvation, when you think you can earn God's love, when you think there's anything that you can do that basically gives you salvation by your work and efforts, you are in a dangerous ground. A very dangerous ground. And so what we see in this section is that Paul is guarding joy from workspace salvation. And I want you to watch the language he uses here. Verse 2, watch out for those dogs. Can you imagine your pastor getting up here and being like, this week when you go to work, watch out for them dogs. Right? You'd be like, whoa, pastor's lost it. <laughs> right? But Paul, he gets super serious here. Like, he's like, listen up, there is some punks out there and they're coming for you. I'm serious. Like th- this, He goes, watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. If you think this is harsh words, turn your, this week in your Bible, go read the book of Galatians, and then see. He harps, it's an entire book just about this one little section. The book of Galatians is Paul wrestling with the same exact thing that he's going to wrestle with in this section of Philippians. And what has happened is this. The gospel is spreading. But it's not just now spreading to Jews, it's spreading to Gentiles. And suddenly in the first century Christian world, we have explosions happening. Right? Like you think about American society, how much we struggle with like... like dealing with each other and all the different nuances that come with it. The first century Jewish church is now seeing people they thought never could possibly be saved getting saved and receiving the Holy Spirit. And suddenly there's this question of, okay, so for a Gentile who's never been raised a Jew, what does it mean to be saved? Do they have to now physically become a a Jew? Do they have to be circumcised? Do they have to follow the whole law of Moses? Do they have to not eat shrimp or bacon? How many of you are glad that that law does not apply to us? Amen? 
You know, we sang earlier, let incense arise. I'm just telling you, when you're cooking bacon, it's a holy moment, right? I'm <laughs> let the incense arise. But my point is this, is what Paul, he's writing, and there's the, he comes to the Galatian church, and he sees all of these, these Gentiles getting saved, and then he leaves, and what happens is, is these Judaizers come in, and they start talking to the Galatians, and they say, you're not really saved. If you want to be saved, it's not just faith in Jesus. You must become a Jew. You have to be circumcised. You have to start following the law of Moses. And it's then your faith mixed with your works that then saves you. Paul writes back to the Galatians and he says, listen to me. If you believe in this and you allow yourself to be circumcised for the purpose of you think you're saving yourself, you're cut off from Christ. That's not your pastor's words. That's the apostle Paul's words. He's like, that's how serious this is. If you think there is anything you can do to earn or deserve your salvation, you've just lost it. You can't. It's Christ alone. It's what he has done, not what you have done. And, and there's a reason for this. Paul, he writes now to the Philippian church, and he's writing for the purpose of guarding joy from this work-based salvation. The problem is, is this. Um, this is not just a false doctrine that leads to eternal separation from Christ, which it is. But self-righteousness is a thief. It longs to steal from you the only means that you have to truly live out your Christian faith. Joy in the Lord. See, that's the problem. We live in a day and time where there has been a lot of bad teaching where now people, like, God for them is a checklist. <laughs> Show up to church, read my Bible, do all the good things, work really hard, be righteous, be kind, do all these different things, and they don't know Jesus at all. They have no relationship with him. It is all works-based. Now listen to me. If you really know Jesus, the works come. Amen? Like Paul, Paul's never like, hey, just love Jesus and don't ever do any of that. No, 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 no. Paul's like, no, no, no. The only way you can truly do the other stuff, the only way you truly can obey, the only way you really can get that is because you're supercharged with true energy from the joy you have in your relationship with Jesus. But self-righteousness, it longs to steal from you the only means to truly live out your Christian faith. And so what we see is this, is there is a battle between what is worthless and what is priceless. And the question that is for us is simply this, is what do you safeguard? What do you truly treasure? I want you to think about the things we do um, with the things that we treasure. Um, if you truly treasure something, you have a tendency to uh, cling to it. If it's of immense value to you, like, like I think of like my, my kids, I've got a, I love having my kids around, but like sometimes when I say cling, I mean cling. Like, they're, like they're, Calvin's in a stage right now where like he thinks sometimes that like my leg and his arms have to be perfectly attached. Like I'll be walking and he's not even walking, he's walking via my leg that's moving. <laughs> you know, it's just like he's hanging on like it's attached to a tree. We, we cling to those things, whether that's sometimes, you know, uh, we invest in the things that we treasure. 
whether that's your 401k or like your savings account or things like that. Uh, we hold close to our heart the things that we treasure. There's certain things that you own that right now you're probably terrified to lose. Sentimental th- value, things that maybe it's a picture of your parents that's the last one that you have or of a great-grandparent. Like, thing, maybe it's your kid's artwork from when they were a toddler that like, just every time you see it, it warms your heart. We see these things as having immense and immeasurable value. Special items that have been given to us. We talk about them often. I've met some of you who are grandparents, right? Whether it's in your wallet or on your phone, like you can't be in a conversation without like a grandkid popping out. Like, hey, let me tell you about... <laughs> Next thing you know, the pictures are coming out, right? It's like the old movies where like, they open up the wall and it's like, the pictures just come flying out. <laughs> I want you to set, catch this. The false teachers, the things they were putting in their safeguard in their vault, was not the precious blood of Jesus Christ. It was their works and their effort. It was what they could do, what they could accomplish It was circumcision. It was Jewish custom and culture and rule keeping. All the ways they thought they could earn God's love and his favor. Their attempt to earn salvation by works. They were hanging on to what was worthless at the expense of what was priceless. And this is what the Apostle Paul has to say. He goes, it's all garbage. I once thought, how many of you have ever said that come out of your mouth before? (laughs) I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. He says, it's all worthless. All these things. He gives, he goes, they're telling you, you need to do all these things to earn Christ. He's like, I I did all those things and I was the best at those things. I was the Jew of Jews. I literally lived in almost perfection to the law and all these things that once held so much weight before I count them as worthless as garbage for the sake of knowing Jesus I want you to think about worthless with me um this should be an item that every person in this room knows what it is how many of you sleep with this next to your bed Really? No one? No one's got the, the kitchen trash right next to your bed? Interesting. Okay. How many of you have the trash from three weeks ago? Three years ago? I would hope not. Right? Because <laughs> there would be some pungent odors invading your space, right? No, we consider the things we put in this as they have not only no value to me anymore, because there's some things in your home right now that has no value to you, but they're not in here, right? (laughs) No, this is not even just what doesn't have value to you. This is what you don't even want in your presence anymore. 
Like, I want it gone. I want it far away from me. Like, I, it smells, it stinks, it's worthless. Like, it's four-day-old banana pills, right? Like, it, it's the, the gross stuff. It's coffee grounds. It's all the different stuff in it. This is what trash essentially consists of. What's really interesting here is trash has no importance, no value. We have no desire to keep it. We want to discard it, get it away from us, get rid of it. The word that Paul uses here, for his sake I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage. Depending on what translation you read, that word is translated in a number of ways. Some translations say rubbish. Other translations say garbage. If you go to the old King James, anybody got it on them? What's it say? says dung. The reason that it's translated multiple different ways because it's a Greek word, and the Greek word is skubalon. Everybody say skubalon. Yeah, that's a fun word to say, isn't it? You need to bring that up in conversation at some point today. Just be like, <laughs> skubalon, right? The word skubalon was a derogatory Greek word for feces. Seriously. Um, it meant this, any type of refuse, specifically the excrement of animals, rubbish dregs. That's the word that is used there, right? That which is often, like it could be like if it was scraps from your table, it would be like the gross stuff, you know, anymore that like sometimes in the, in the past they would throw to their dogs. Now we've got like, you know, the pet chihuahuas that get like better meals than we do. But that's not what it's talking about. We're talking like back in the day when it was just like the, the gristle that no one would even want to like remotely touch. They would throw that to the dogs. Like that's like, it's, it's the worthless. It's dung. It's, it's, it's disgusting. It's not something that you want to keep. I want you to think with me just for a moment what we do with what is worthless. What we do, I'll give you one more example of this. What we do with what is worthless. What do we got here? We got a baby little diaper, right? Mom's in the room. How many of you know that there are some smells that have come from this that you did not know was humanly possible? Like before that moment, you're like, I used to love you, child. <laughs> no, you still do. I know. Moms are like, with joy, I changed my child's life. Yeah, whatever. We've seen. <laughs> you know what I've noticed? Um, we don't keep these. We don't cling to it. We don't, um, we don't celebrate it. Right? Like, no one's run outside to their neighbor being like, look, 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 look at my garbage. Let me tell you about it. I got some cool stuff in here. <laughs> no one grabs their infant diaper and runs to another person and is like, I want you to see this. I'm uh, this is Paul's example. Watch this. This is important. We don't keep it, we don't cling to it, we don't celebrate it, we don't attach value to it. No one in this room would be dumb enough to go across the street at Needler's and try to purchase milk with a dirty diaper. Right? I would hope not. They would call the police on you. We don't take pride in it. We don't bring it up in conversation. We don't guard it, protect it, or care about what happens to it. We don't put our faith in it. 
We don't put our trust, our value, worth, satisfaction, or hope in it. We don't see this as a means of value to attain something. Paul says, everything I used to think that had value towards my salvation, my good works, my energy, my effort, my ability, what I could do, it's dung. You would never try to purchase something with a dirty diaper. Why would you try to purchase your salvation with your efforts? What we do with what's worthless is we put no hope in it. We don't keep it in our life. But what do we do with what's priceless? With what's priceless, we keep it, we protect it. There are certain things in your life that you would never want to lose. It's those things that, uh, again, when we started the sermon and I asked you, what's the one thing you would run back in to get? Like, that's something to you that has priceless. You're like, I would fight the flames to make sure I didn't lose that. With what's priceless, we cling to it. We celebrate it. We see it as having immense value to us. We take pride in it. We talk about it. We bring it up often. We, again, when grandparents in the room, like your grandkids, like you, you talk about them often. You bring them up often. Like you can't hardly be in a conversation without suddenly, same thing with parents in the room, right? Our kids will be mildly good at something and we're like, yay! When something's priceless, we hold it as having value and importance. We see it as a means sometimes of even attaining something else. We protect it. We put it in the safe. I want you to see this. Let's look at what Paul considers priceless. Yes, everything else is worthless compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Everything else is worthless compared to knowing Jesus Christ. For his sake, I have discarded. Paul goes, for his sake, I have taken all of my religious ability and attempts to earn salvation, and I've thrown them in the trash. I've discarded everything else, counting it as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I have become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that in one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. I want, to, I want you to think about this. Listen, what Paul considers as priceless is he goes, I know Jesus. I, know, I don't know about Jesus. I don't have informational knowledge. I have a relationship with Jesus. One of the most popular things that's happening in the religious world, specifically Western Christianity today, is something that's called deconstruction. It's where a lot of people are 
deconstructing their faith and they're walking away from God, they're walking away from the church, they're walking away from God, the community, they're walking away from, because, let me just tell you why. Because their faith was built upon a house of cards that was based on their efforts. How can I walk away from someone I know? How can I walk away from the Savior who is the same God who showed up for Abraham and Moses and David and who has shown up time and again for me? How can I walk away from the God who has not just rescued me, and I understand that theologically, but who has captured my heart in such a way that my greatest desire is to be in his presence, not to do things for him, but to be with him? Paul writes to a church, and he's going, listen to me. If what your value is in what you can do, what you can accomplish, or your religious ability, he's like, listen, all those things are worthless. They're garbage. They are dung compared to knowing Jesus Christ. He goes, that, 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 that's what we need, church. That's what we've always supposed to be needed. Go back to the Old Testament. Moses, he says, if your presence doesn't go with us, we're camping in the wilderness, God. Forget going into the promised land. We are people defined by your presence. We still are. We need his presence. Listen to me. What matters, what's priceless is not what you've done, it's what Christ has done. This is so important because so many times you can walk into church on a Sunday morning and you've had a rough week. You know what I'm talking about? Those weeks where you get beat up by your sin. And the band starts playing the song and there's a part of you that echoes in your soul that goes, don't you dare sing. Do you know what your week was like? You're not worthy enough to sing. Can I tell you something? You never were. We don't worship God based on my previous week or what I've done. I worship God because of who he is and not what I've done. That's the whole point. Listen to me. It's what Christ has done, not what you've done. We need to grab hold of this. Paul says what is priceless is our ability to know and to have a relationship with Jesus. Paul goes, it's not my efforts, not my works, though they were pretty good. <laughs> I'm serious. Like, there's a moment Paul's like, by the way, just so you know, I was better than you. <laughs> I'm here. Look, I'm just, you can't not read in between the lines and see that. He's like, your works and efforts, they're a little paltry compared to mine. He's like, but you know what? Everything that I used to count as having so much value, it's garbage. I know Jesus. He goes, faith in the finished work of Christ, not in my continued work or efforts, because my continued work, my continued efforts, my continued obedience comes from knowing him. It's because I know him, I obey. I don't obey to try to earn his love. I obey because I've received his love. And there's a huge difference between those two. So church, what's in our safe? Is it treasure or is it trash? What are you holding on to? What are you and I relying upon? 
What are you passionate about? What are you invested in? What do you care about? What holds infinite value to your heart? There's two thieves that are coming for your joy. One is conformity, where you try to start looking at the luster and the things of this world and go, ooh, that looks really good. I think I could be satisfied in that. And it will rob you of all spiritual power. The other, though, is the flip side of that, where the enemy comes in and he goes, okay, well, you know what? I'm going to get them so focused on what they can do, what they can accomplish, that God just becomes a checklist box for them. Something they need to do, something they need to accomplish, something that they're supposed to do. It's all about responsibility. It's all about duty. It's all about habits. It's all about all these things that they're supposed to do that it completely robs them of all their relationship. Both are coming for your joy. And the enemy is brilliant. The truth is, it's actually our joy in knowing Jesus that keeps us from conforming to the patterns of this world. And it's our joy in Jesus that keeps us from works-based salvation. So what's in your safe? What's, what, what treasure are you holding so dear to you? What, what are you holding close to your heart? What matters to you? See, the power of joy... Listen to these words. Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Whatever happens, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it, I tell you these things to safeguard your faith. Let me tell you how joy safeguards your faith. You're in one of three places. You're coming out of pain and brokenness. You're about to go into pain and brokenness. <laughs> or you're in the midst of pain and brokenness. How many of you know that that's the human life? We're surrounded by pain. We're surrounded by brokenness. We're surrounded by loss. We're surrounded by all these different things. It's the joy of the Lord that is our strength. Joy has some incredibly beautiful power that when you are facing life's worst, you stand strong. And let me tell you why. Because you're not standing in your efforts. You're standing in his strength. And what can happen in that moment is what you thought was going to be a season of brokenness becomes actually a season of incredible growth. <laughs> Want proof of that? I love it. That was the cutest thing in the moment. Let me prove it to you. Look at the life of Joseph. Joseph. You get a bird's eye view of his life. There's a moment of absolute brokenness where he's sitting in the middle of a dungeon. He's been accused of rape. He is in the worst possible living conditions you can possibly imagine. And as you look at his life, you go, where is God in the midst of this? But the reality is, is that it was actually in that moment that God was preparing him for the greatest blessing he was ever going to give him. Joy holds you in those moments. The joy of the Lord is our strength. If you trust in God, you gain strength. If you trust in your efforts, it's a drain that will sap you of all spiritual energy. Listen to me. 
It is joy, not requirement, that fuels lasting obedience. I'm going to say that again. It is joy, not requirement, that fuels lasting obedience, and it will empower you to keep the commands of God. If you're keeping the commands of God because of your own work and your own efforts and trying to do it on your own, you're going to get so spiritually exhausted that you will end up hating him. But if you know him, if you love him, the commands of God are for your pleasure. Paul rejoiced in the Lord. All true religious action flows from joy in the Lord where it's our strength. As the team comes to the stage, I want to just ask you, I'm being serious, what are you carrying with you? What are you putting in your vault? I've seen far too many exhausted, tired, lonely, broken Christians because they're walking around like this. They're clinging to their efforts. They're clinging to what they've done for God. They're clinging to, well, he must love me because I'm a good person. They're clinging to yesterday. They're holding on to things that are all about them. That ministry that I did, that time I read the whole book of the Bible or the whole Bible or that whole section of scripture or that time that I fasted or that like and, and they look at their energy and their spiritual action and their efforts and they hang on to it as if like this is gold this is so valuable they get so close up to it and they don't even realize it stinks <laughs> they start thinking I can pay God off with my good works Remember the Old Testament? All of your righteous deeds are like filthy rags. Paul goes, this is everything that I thought I could do to earn my salvation. Put it in the trash pile for the sake of Jesus. I want to know you. I want to know you. People, we need to be people of his presence. Defined by his presence hungry for us. I want to pastor a church that is close to the heart of God. I want to be a part of a people that when we show up and we gather, we believe in the same God who moved then and who moves now. That we say, God, I don't want to just know about you. I want to know you. So here's how we're going to close. Will you stand with me? And we're going to sing that song again, same God. But my prayer is, can we sing this from a new perspective this morning? Right where you're at, would you just bow your heads and close your eyes? And I want you to take a moment and do a mental inventory and put some stuff in the trash. God, all of the false theology that I've learned, God, all of my energy, all of my efforts, all the ways that I've tried so hard to work to impress you, not realizing that as your son and daughter, you've already declared over me, you are my son, my daughter, and you, I'm well pleased. 
May I put those to the side for the sake of knowing you, Jesus. May I be defined by your presence, known by your presence. May it invade my life. God, I pray that we would be a people who know you, Jesus, not just know about you. And Lord, in this place today, as we worship, I'm asking God, would your presence invade our midst? Come on, right where you're at, will you pray that prayer? God, will your presence invade me? God, I want to know you. I don't want to just know about you. I want to long for your presence. I want to know you, Jesus. And in doing so, God, I want your joy to be my strength. Hold me, I pray. As we sing this today, can you just trust in the same God who has moved before? and who can move again. And I'm praying that his presence would move in our midst.